Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Ghoulish greetings to all our listeners. My name is Kyle, and you might recognize me for being on the pilot of Sitting in the Dark and then never appearing again. But if Laurie Strode can come back to Haddonfield, then I can face my fears and return to the show I abandoned. 
where have I been? Oh, well, thank you for asking. Uh, here's what I can tell you. Uh, you can combine all the fear I felt watching every scary movie I've ever seen, and it pales in comparison to the fear that comes from being on the wrong side of late-stage capitalism. But today I'm taking this doomed crew down deep, fathoms below, to see what horrors lurk where the sun has never shone. My little wing of sitting in the dark is named Featured Creatures, and today's tale is called Terrors of the Deep. Like we've learned from the Lost Boys, the Dream Warriors, and the Monster Squad, it's only together that the evils can be defeated. And thus, I have banded together this scrappy group of outsiders, miscreants, and 'er ne'er-do-wells, as they are the only people that really understand what's lurking in the dark, or in this case, under the waves. At the con is our intrepid captain, podcast impresario, Pete Wright. Oh dear, overstated, but hi, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to the starboard is my bearded brother, Ray Delancey. Hello, movie mavericks. And hard to port, it's the handsomest man on these seven seas, Tommy Metz. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome aboard. Very nice. excited about this, Kyle. So excited. back. Oh, oh man. It's been many moons. So good. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, let, let's say not just that you abandoned the show. It was your idea. Your idea. So it's really great to have you back and show us what we've been doing wrong. <laughs> I feel like I have daddy issues now. So thanks a I'll lot. I'll never leave you again, my boy. As I as I mentioned uh, way back when uh, I'm, I'm a less a fan of horror than I am of monster movies. Uh, so this is what I put together. These three films that all take place under the sea. And it was inspired by when I first... Uh, when I watched uh, Underwater, and I was like, this reminds me of some things. So I mm. decided to put these couple things together and we could talk about it. But I think before we get into the big the discussion of the three, um, there is a shadow that's looming over all of these movies that we need to address. Uh, and that is a uh, Canadian madman by the name of James Cameron. <laughs> it is uh, yes. unfathomable. Oh, that's a pun. Hey. Unfathomable that these, that Leviathan and Deep Star Six came out the same year as The Abyss. Yes. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. these two look like the first movies ever made. <laughs> I know. And The Abyss is such a technical marvel. It's insane. Yeah. 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 And and clearly all of them were like, man, wasn't Aliens a great movie? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> even even yeah. up until I would say underwater. They're just like like trying to like the same shots, the same angles. Mm-hmm. I mean the same chest it's amazing how Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how sort of um I don't know how far we want to push this aquatic metaphor. How about you drop a stone in the water and how the ripples continue on? Uh, I mean, it's it was, it was, it, so that's I did not intentionally did not put uh, the abyss on this list uh, uh, because I don't consider that a monster movie. I don't consider that a mm-hmm. horror movie. I consider it like like underwater thriller. And yeah. I, I just rewatched it when they did the 4K restoration and they put it out mm-hmm. theaters for a day, and it was unbelievable how well that movie has aged yes, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to these <laughs> that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's extraordinary and that should be the the like hall of fame footnote for this episode is you know yeah. okay first go watch the abyss to set your palette yes yeah, right yeah just see how this can be done <laughs> yeah, well right. even though uh all of these are flops including the abyss yeah like yeah which is very though, strange yeah, I, I, I find it interesting because we're gonna as we're gonna talk about these things yeah. like this aliens underwater thing has never worked 
Like no, no one has pulled it off and yet they keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. It is intriguing. James Cameron almost killed Ed Harris and yet <laughs> still couldn't get a box office win out of it. I, that's a, that's a movie though, where hindsight has proven, I think much clearer. Yes. And, and these other movies, I'm not sure we can say the same. Yeah. Uh, with I'm the exception either. of underwater, which is very fresh. Uh, but, yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very, yeah. Very fresh. So. So I guess let's 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 start uh, chronologically then. Let's go start talk about Deep Star Six, uh, which came out in January of 1989. Which, as we all know, is the month the month when the best movies come out. Oh my goodness! <laughs> when you the really have I remember, movie, drop it first. <laughs> the thing that I remember most about this movie was the cover art, mm-hmm. the half it was the, the hanging, half thing, right? The half man in the world's first underwater suit. Yeah. In the bell tower. Thing. Yeah, uh, that's what I remembered always seeing. It, but I remembered more of this movie than I thought I did. Besides the cover art, what yeah. is the iconic thing in Deep Star Six? Two things. There's, uh, I think, a very effective sequence, for the most part, of being in a locked chamber half filled with water and the monsters somewhere underneath. Yeah. And there's two characters on both sides. And then I remembered Miguel Ferreira's yeah. Ferreira's death Ferreira. because that is like a bad death. Yeah. Uh, being that, that decom- uncompressed, cool. being yeah. spaghettified. Yeah. yeah. Decompression. Yeah. What? Hmm. I, but there were other things I didn't remember. I don't remember when you're setting up uh, an underwater uh facility you're like did we pack the shotguns that makes <laughs> the same thing pull these out there's so many shotguns like the harpoon i get but shotguns you want scatter fire that's not the right way and then i'm gonna just i want to say one other thing just because it's so specific and then we can get into it my favorite thing about deep star six is I love how everyone's desks have nameplates as if there's regular visitors showing up for meetings. Where do I put this file? Like, you've all been together for months. I know. And every desk had a nameplate. I thought that was outstanding. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. That and trucker hats. Like this right. is, before they were cool, like everybody had to have a hat that indicated right. like, where they came from. Like, look, I was in the Navy. And like, look, I delivered dog food. That was weird. Right. Like, <laughs> trying to get that blue collar thing. So where do you want, how do you want to, how do you in, want to interpret these movies, Kyle? What, when you're watching these movies, what are you thinking about? Well, I, it, my, my sort of angle on it was about the, the creature. Like, I'm always interested yeah. in, like, thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, what it is that the monster is about. What are they doing? Uh, you know, the, in this, you know, we get, you know, the, the habitat essentially was sort of, sort of, sort of similar to like they do in like the Meg in terms of like yeah. Meg's just making it up, going about its business. And then suddenly somebody messes with the water and then, all the, and the same kind of thing here is you have um, your creature is just chilling. Yeah. Uh, and then they decide like, you know, cause they need to put their missiles down that, <laughs> that cave's got to go. Yeah. Uh, and then out it comes and then, it was a, like, you know, so from its perspective, it's just being playful. Right. And that's that is, I think, an interesting thing, particularly in contrast with Leviathan, which we'll talk mm-hmm. about in a minute. But this yes. this movie, I, I think, is punching itself in the face with the creature because it's <laughs> yeah. it's trying to be a creature. But the creature is the equivalent of an, a, a shotgun in a deep sea aquatic facility. Right. The creature <laughs> it, it, by the end, we're in that tiny it's it's a relatively small kind of decompression pre chamber. And yeah. and the monster is 
somehow the monster, which is like nine feet tall, yes. is somehow hiding under four feet of water. And I yes. don't like I did. That's the part where I think like there are sequences in this movie that are damn terrifying. The door that closes on the guy like yeah. there are things that are gross and, and kind of fun and thrilling. But the monster is a self own. It is so I, for, to me, it's so dumb. Like I, I just could not get around the big reveal. And I think that's one of the things that makes the movie for me feel so dated that it's, it's leveraging creature effects and trying to go big on eighties era creature effects, but they're putting it in a setting that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. At that, at that point, the little wormy things would have been a lot more terrifying because Vastly knowing they're in there, it's, yeah. even, even like they did the same scene later in uh, uh, Deep Blue Sea, where it's like, there are sharks in the room with you. And it's like, yes. it didn't yeah. work then either. It's like the water was clear as we could look down into the. Yeah. Yeah. Just but look then at the sharks, it right. was like coiled up. Like like yeah. a dog sleeping just to fit in that room. Yeah, like you can. I would just take the water out. What does the thing look like without water? And it you can almost see it trying to hide itself. I you can't see me. You can't see me. When I, I don't like you, though, you don't see me. How aggressively big the yeah. creature was yeah. when it was yeah. finally revealed. I kind of it doesn't make mm -hmm. sense physics wise or in that room or yeah. hiding wise, but for the, the uh, for the length of time. Thing. Yeah, for the I, length of time that they hide the creature and just show like creature POV, yeah. I was expecting it to be a real because I didn't remember the creature at all. No, I didn't either. What it looked like, I was expecting it to be like laughably stupid, mm -hmm. and I didn't think it was. I thought it was, it was, it was a pretty good practical effect in a movie filled with not good practical effects, yeah. and a movie where I don't believe anyone was ever underwater once. <laughs> 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 no, no. Thank you for addressing that. Yes. That is one thing that bothered me about this yeah. movie is that there was a complete lack of claustrophobia to me, which is a key part of underwater movies because that's one of the scariest things about being underwater. Yeah. That's really interesting that you say that because I think that is like it can go either way. There are sequences in, for example, Jaws 3D where the the um, you know, they're in the bigger dome areas and things start to crack and you feel like this is going to be really bad because we're in a big space and we can watch it fill up with water. And that becomes the size becomes the ticking clock. And you can go really small, like in the abyss where they're actually in the water as a ticking clock to suffocate mm -hmm. uh, Ed Harris, mm -hmm. right? Those things, or to drown Ed Harris, like those things go really big or really small. But both Leviathan and Deep Star Six go in this kind of mid space, which doesn't yeah. feel claustrophobic at all. And to Tom's point, they're just they're they're dry more than they should be. <laughs> but I I think that's the alien effect too, though, right? Because you know, it's yeah. like the alien oh, effect is every, they just wanted it to look like Alien, and they needed a new setting, right? right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's I guess that's the other uh, specter that haunts over this is really Scott is like everyone trying to have that you're trapped in a space with a monster. Yes, and, but but these ones have to stay underwater. <laughs> I, I think of of all the monsters, actually, of these three that we're talking about, I like this monster design the best. Like, I think like when it finally comes up and you see it, it's like I'm like, oh wow, this is actually legitimately like scary looking monster. I'm more of an underwater fan, but. But I do like the monster in this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I, I like like Tommy when I, I, I'd seen it and I had forgot what the monster looked like. And it came out, I was like, oh, you know what? That's a, it looks all right. Like, 
They leaned in on crab. There's just a lot of crab. Yeah, exactly. A lot of crab. I thought it was kind of forgettable, honestly. Oh, really? Okay. You guys, we keep talking about the similarities to Alien, of Mm -hmm. which, you know, they are glaring. But there is one thing about this movie that I think needs to be addressed. And that's the fact that we have Sean S. Cunningham of Friday the 13th fame Mm -hmm. directing, and he steals his own ending. (laughs) Talk about Oh, with jumping out of the water. That's interesting. (laughs) You know, think about it. You think everything's fine. They're floating safely on the surface of the water. They even have the same musician, Harry Manfredini, doing the score, playing this nice, tranquil music, and then all of a sudden up pops the unexpected monster for the last twist scare. Huh. That's a good that's catch. Really interesting. Yeah, that's a great catch. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I, uh, I have a, a hard time talking about these, about the monsters themselves it, hmm. in exclusion of one another, right? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I already think that the monster is kind of loony in Deep Star 6 because of the rest of the movie that's around it. But I agree with you. <laughs> of, the, of the monsters between the two, I like it better than Leviathan. I think it is a more interesting looking kind of mechanical creature. Mm-hmm. And Leviathan has such an awesome kind of character origin story. I love yeah. the genetic melding and the the I think it's crazy how all the pieces come together and just are drawn to each other and they make the most ridiculous thing <laughs> that is the ultimate final reveal is I think kind of comical and silly. Yeah. I, I think it is yeah. silly monster. I agree. Yeah, we can we can we can pivot over to talk to Leviathan because Leviathan I think does a lot of stuff right that deep star six does wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think having the adding in the body horror and that now you you add the that sort of piece of you're trapped together in this thing you're underwater so you have to get out but also then and now someone's sick and you could get sick too so you have this right. other thing this other infection going on and then the fact that it's, it becomes the thing the movie yeah yeah thing. well you yes. know the thing but it's also it's also becoming one thing so it, like it's not just that mm-hmm. it's a creature around there like basically like no no all will be one like it's <laughs> it's trying to make a body out of all the other things in one you know, and but then when you finally get to the reveal in the in the final thing and you see it, you're like, oh, <laughs> like you're just a little fish guy. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> you were scarier when you were kind of more blobby. Yeah, I know, like tentacles and you know, shooting around the shots yeah, and like it's water, and then you see it and it's just like this, like eh, like slow. You know, I love yeah. Stan Winston Studio, <laughs> but like it's this weird slow moving animatronic thing that's like roar. It's like yeah, the difference between like watching Jaws and then going on Jaws the Ride. <laughs> yes. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so you there made the is. tracks jiggle a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. The the thing that I think is most interesting about these movies, especially when you look at them chronologically, is that they, they, they increase their homage to Lovecraft over the course mm-hmm. of these movies, right? Mm-hmm. The, the first movie is a tra- straightforward kind of monster movie. The second one is this, like, leaning in on the theme of unchecked scientific uh, research, right? And mm-hmm. you you get this, like, what hath humans wrought? Well, we hath wrought this horror of creation from another place that we don't understand, and it will be our undoing. And then finally, we have straight up, like, Cthulhu-level monster, like, city-sized right. monster in Underwater, which is a, a direct uh, homage for Lovecraft. And I think that's really interesting, like, when you look at at how our interpretation of these monsters underwater have 
uh, evolved over time, over this set of movies. It's like we we realized what's scary and uh, and we're kind of leaning in more on on the human in, uh, involvement in creating this thing that is terrifying. I think that's really interesting. And, it, and I think in Leviathan, that part works, right? Richard Crenna, mm-hmm. I, I feel for Richard Crenna, even though he's the jerk, right? Because <laughs> like- He's the doc, doctor? He's the doc, yeah. 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 The missing doc. He's, yeah. he's Wilford Brimley from The Thing. Yeah, oh. right? right? There's another one. And The Thing, again, what an awesome Lovecraftian kind of- yeah trope too i have one detail that i just want to get out of the way kind of like the desk plate nameplate thing because it doesn't really (laughs) help anything but when in the beginning uh the guy his oxygen scrubber is having trouble Mm -hmm. and they're trying to get him in and weller uh weller who uh peter weller who plays the least urgent person (laughs) in an emergency (laughs) ever goes over to the computer it starts pressing buttons and all those random images start happening did you happen to catch that one of them was of a desk lamp (laughs) (laughs) well maybe i took a picture of it i don't know what he was looking at all of these things like bleep 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 bleep. and then there's a picture of the desk lamp what are we doing And this is the same year that the abyss came out. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. The oh man, I love the the we can see this far in the future, but no farther kind of stuff. Like the idea yeah. that this whole base and they have these suits and there, and it's still like a giant desktop with like right. you couldn't like they they couldn't fathom a flat screen. Right. But like yes. they could think of like entire like these these huge mechanical suits that people could live underwater for this entire time. So it's, I always fascinated by like you saw this but you couldn't go this far like yeah, there's right. full video communication in this which you know was was mm-hmm. still pretty far away uh yeah. at the time and yet mm-hmm. when they're when they go to the banks and the things they are literally playing like the 1960s beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, boop, <laughs> like, <laughs> like really <laughs> well and there's a piece where where they're doing their you know early facetime with martin on the surface and yeah. She turns and picks up a remote, remote. and it's it, the giant remote. It's like yeah. barely a generation past the remotes that were actually connected by wire. It is ridiculous. And yet we have video communication to the surface, which I think is really fun. <laughs> yeah. I really regret watching this and Deep Star 6 so close together because there's so much about them that just blends right together for me because they both have like... I don't want to say an ensemble cast, but they both have a broadcast of like people that you've definitely seen here and there. Uh, And I think that this movie, the the cast does a much better job than in the pre than in deep star six, because the writing for deep star six just seemed so contrived and artificial to me. Mm -hmm. It just did not Mm -hmm. seem like this is not how people interact. No, it's all smarm and uh and come back. Meanwhile in yeah. Right. Meanwhile in this movie, I it it wasn't perfect, but I actually felt like, okay, this is a group of people that, you know, there's some camaraderie here. You know, so I I I Mm -hmm. thought that it was a little bit more believable. I thought that the the cast worked better here with the material i thought that that's one of the things this movie has going for it yeah yeah i felt there was much more of a camaraderie on leviathan they they, they sort of had that like co-worker feel 
where it's like for Deep Star Six, even though they supposedly had been together for six months, it felt like the first day right. where they're all like, ha buddy. And, you know, it's interesting about that, though, because I, I wonder how much of that is is the believability of like the role underwater. Right. Mm-hmm. There, there's something I, I'm thinking about with all of these movies is like, what is your job right. underwater? Why are you down there? And I think mm-hmm. uh, Deep Star Six was a little bit unclear to me. I think they were installing a deep sea missile base. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And and Correct. it felt to me much bigger in scope than like it, it felt like a to me like they have you know buses in the morning to take you right. from this one facility to where you're going to work like there was a commute to work underwater it yeah. felt like there was much more they were trying to sell that there was much more infrastructure underwater and well he was also trying to prove about like underwater colonization yes Right. That the dock, the dock in this one was also under the guise of, hey, the navies will pay you if you do this missile. Then also, can we create like a bus route in a in a whole community underwater? Yeah. yeah. Right. Which, which, which to the degree that really you, inefficient. And the other like guys the, were just yeah. have a, that they taking, have a commute. You're underwater and you have a commute every morning. Right. Beep, beep. Come on. Come yeah. There's like a hob lane. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so it makes sense that it would be bigger because the other guys were just taking metal, right? They were just yes, yeah, they were, were just mining, mining precious silver metals and precious yeah. metals. Silver and right. precious metals. Very yes. clear. Some of them are precious. Others are silver. Um, and so that one, like, so here, do, which do you believe more in terms of why they're underground or underwater? Do you mm-hmm. believe the the mining operation? You believe it? And, and switching briefly to underwater, mm-hmm. that movie starts off the jump like we don't get yeah. a whole lot of why the hell are you here story in that movie because it gets right into the fact that we're in a massive infrastructure underwater but it's at peril and that's the point um, and i i wonder if that is a level up for underwater to to kind of ditch the um you know the artifice of why we're mm-hmm. here and just tell you wouldn't it be scary if one of the things mm-hmm. that Leviathan brings and Deep Star Six to a certain extent is um, the alien mythos in that the real bad guy are the people on topside, yeah. are the companies yes. behind these things, uh, that they're mm-hmm. the ones in Leviathan especially who are just pushing the pickup date because there's it's a... Just gaslighting. A, yeah, mm-hmm. just gaslighting in order to keep them down. And that's what Mother does and Waylon Yutani does in all of the uh, alien movies. They're mm-hmm. the real, actual big bad guys. The yeah. Deep Star Six, not quite as much, except for the threat that if they don't do the job that the Navy sent them to do, everything's going to be pulled and they'll lose a bunch of money or something like that. Or maybe that was Leviathan. You're right. They really do blend together. <laughs> You're right, right. <laughs> well, because they also, everyone is, except for Underwater, like both of these movies, they're also on their last blank of a long yeah. time. They are both on their last week. They both have arming scenes. There's both storms. There's uh, uh, escape hatches not being used correctly. (laughs) There's all. It's it's interesting the overlap of when you just take these two movies, um, made just because they're in the same year. How much they share, and yet how comparatively Leviathan's story is so much more interesting and fleshed out, and so much more intricate. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Pete, how the how it all sort of comes together at the end with the Russians did it to themselves, and then we drank the vodka, and then do da da, and yeah, um, 
Yes. I do like that specifically in Leviathan where it seems like another horror movie had already happened. Hmm. Yeah. Like whatever. That's that, great. I thought that was really cool that they, they sort of stumble as opposed to, I mean, there, there's, you know, you know, uh, you know, nature red tooth and claw. Okay, fine. But the idea that something awful had happened there and now right. the curse has been passed on to you. Like now you've inherited this problem and yet now, now you're doing it all over again. And so like, you really could do another <laughs> Leviathan with them going back to like this place and finding, you know, that's idea of that, 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 um, that there already was a story. Yeah. That had, that they, that the captain of that ship of the Leviathan had thought had, he had taken care of it. He had ended it. And then Daniel Stern gets thirsty and look what happens. <laughs> Daniel Stern is amazing. <laughs> he is uh, like, another big again, comparison to the thing. Every, yeah, and every one right? of these movies has a designated a-hole. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Stern though is like oh yeah. insanely inappropriate. <laughs> like yeah. is there just no screening for Cruz at all? <laughs> Miguel Ferraro is the jerk and he totally ends <laughs> right. up pulling like a, a Paul Reiser in aliens. Yeah. But yeah. For a while, you just sort of see him go crazy. Daniel Stern is like, did yeah. you sneak your way down Man, here? you must be really good at your job. <laughs> yeah, did you come from the sea? Because you have no human skills at all. <laughs> Although, uh, you know, I, all, all due respect to Daniel Stern, the guy I had most fun watching was Ernie Hudson. I felt like yeah. Ernie Hudson yeah. was yeah, meant yeah. to be in this movie more than yeah. just about anyone else. Like, he just is, there's something about... His demeanor that when in other films I find a little bit sideways in this movie was perfect. And so I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. I think the, the whole cast, even Peter Weller, who I think uh -huh. thought he might still be in RoboCop, um, oh, she, she was Dr. Peter Weller. Dr. Peter Weller. I, my apologies. Uh, all due respect to the doctor. Um, I thought everybody in this movie was really fun to watch. Like you, when you yes. talk about that, that camaraderie, like I, I got it. Like I felt like I I understood the people, even if I didn't understand their their you know entire purpose. And I thought they the way they sort of winnowed down the the crew was very effective. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it, Deep Star Six was also okay, but you could just feel that this movie was in a bit of a different class. Mm -hmm. it's, and a shout out to the Hall of Famer again, The Abyss, mm -hmm. when everything is just amplified and better. All of the charisma of the crew, the intensity of the invading force, they actually, when there's a storm on the surface, you see the storm on the surface and watch right. them struggle to get there. Like, it's not just look at what's going, or we're going to think about what's going on up there. It's just everything is amplified. So it really, I mean, this is a, this is much more of a, a film, of, or, or a conversation about budgets and uh, what they <laughs> yes. could possibly yeah. do. Because Deep Star um, Six looks like an ABC original movie that would have yes. aired on television. Yeah. And Leviathan looks like a real honest to God movie. It looks like, you know, yeah. you can you can put up there with like the Paul Verhoeven of this of this time. Like there was definitely that same aesthetic. You could tell how much more money they had, which you don't want to you don't want to judge a movie by the the budget they have, but boy, <laughs> yeah, it's you tough can really not to. see the difference of a couple of million dollars between those two. And and you know, looking at where some of these people went after Deep Star Six, right? Matt McCoy yeah. is is a funny dude, and and obviously Miguel Ferrara and and Nancy Everhart, love uh, Miguel Ferrara, uh, mm -hmm. Ilya Baskin. Like, really interesting to see so many of these faces that you just know as faces were bouncing around in this movie, and uh, I thought that was I thought that was cool. 
um to see so, them yeah, even back in uh, back in deep star six um we have um cindy pickett who was obviously in ferris bueller's day off but I'll put this to Tommy because I know you're a, a sleepwalker. You're a fan. Did you, you know she, she went and then she did sleepwalkers? I've never seen sleepwalkers. You've never seen sleepwalkers? Oh man, no. Stephen sleepwalkers is wild. It's like I've Stephen heard it's crazy. Cat people, right? Yes, I have not seen that one, but <laughs> and I'm never going to. <laughs> <laughs> now you have a reason. Now there's a connection. Yeah. During one part of Deep Star Six, this shows my engagement with this movie at some point. It became a movie where I didn't realize I had left left it on and left the room to go grab something. Like it became a non a non-pauser. Uh and I just remember like being in the other room. Then he goes, and I hear, wait, 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 what's a henway? And from the other room I go, eight pounds. <laughs> I'm, finish, I'm finishing jokes from another room from this dumb movie. <laughs> when they say what a headway. <laughs> and then I realized oh, I should probably go back in the room. I'm going to be on a podcast about this. <laughs> I mean, I probably don't need to rewind what I missed, but I definitely right. should yeah. finish it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought, uh, yeah, talking of leads, um, you know, Greg Evigan, a star of BJ and the Bear and uh, My Two Dads yeah, as the lead yeah. of Star Six. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, he would go on to star in Tech War, which was written by uh, William Shatner. So, hey, he's got that to look forward to. So, yeah, what's that point you're making, Kyle? <laughs> I'm saying, let's talk that about how great you Peter Weller is because, this. man, like, like he, so this is, this is post Buckaroo Banzai and post Robocop. Uh, and he, I feel like he is right in the pocket. I'm like, yeah. he is like exactly kind of, because uh, even though like, you were talking earlier about like uh, calm under pressure, maybe too calm under pressure. Yeah. I I really liked the sort of stoic demeanor that he had. That it wasn't he wasn't doing, uh, you know, Leonard Nimoy as Spock. Like he wasn't like being emotionless. He was just like you could see he was putting up a brave front and like you know it, it's sort of the geologist out of his element, but yeah. trying to manage people who he had no business being a manager for. Uh, you know, I started, I really sort of empathized with this, this guy who like didn't ask for any of this, uh, but then had to be the voice of reason, had to be the, the, the strong dad in this, in the situation that he was ill prepared for. Yeah. But sort of kept a, you know, kept a stiff upper lip. So definitely watching yeah. Leviathan as a business school case study is aces. You should definitely yeah. do that. Right. right. And pay, pay more attention to him uh, and less to uh, Mick Foster. Uh, <laughs> try and be more of him than, than her and her giant yeah. you're If you're going to talk about Peter Weller, you have to shout out his zinger to the monster at the end, which is one of the <laughs> say great hi, mother effort. One, <laughs> say ah, uh, mother <laughs> oh, say! Oh, was it say ah? Oh, yeah. that makes more yeah. sense. Uh-huh. I wrote down say hi, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> I heard it differently. I might have been in the other room. <laughs> say oh, hi, and, mother effort. Okay. Actually, also was... might have the award for most random shark appearance. <laughs> like and like, <laughs> and now sharks. Shark? Sure, why, why not? Have now have they not been through enough? And they're just like, just when you think that now the sharks are gone, guess what? Look who's yeah. back. It's fish face. <laughs> oh my God. Should Larry we pivot Leviathan, I don't yeah. know. to the good one of yeah, these so movies? Let's, yeah. Let's, well, like having, they'd seen all of these, they'd seen the abyss and everything too. They thought, you know what? 
I'm going to be the one to do this. I'm going to be the one to crack this formula. William Eubank is like, this is it. I'm going to be the one to do alien creatures underwater. And so then we get to underwater from the gold star year of 2020 which the best movies came out of. Um, shot in 2017 <laughs> and sat on a shelf for three years. It was finally quietly released uh, when no one was going to the movies. Why? Wait, why was it on the shelf for three years? No one really knows, except that I think that they knew they did not have a world-class movie on their hands. And the, so they waited to release in 2020 and then went, pandemic, what are you going to do? Tax yeah. right off. I think this... I'm on such a different pathway with this Me movie. Too. I saw it in the theater and I loved it. I think this movie is like really underrated and I think it's really effective. I think part of the issue also might be um, the people versus TJ Miller uh, because. Well, uh, yeah. At the, so, but to their credit, even, he's funny in the movie. All of yeah. his stuff happened. All, all of the things that were discovered, I won't say happened, but were discovered after they had shot the movie. Yeah, right. so I think maybe that was part of it too. They were they were sort of doing a little bit of uh, Jonathan Majors wait and see, and it turns out, oh no, there's a lot more to see. Uh, things right. are not going well. Uh, it's getting worse. It's getting worse. And they had to put what out, if they I would have digitally for- replaced him with Christopher Plummer too, <laughs> <laughs> or Chig Nataro? Why not put Chig Nataro in there? But doing the exact same line reading. Yes. yes. <laughs> but you know what's interesting, you guys? Like, had this movie actually come out. Uh, uh, three years later mm-hmm. there is a very real chance that it never would have seen the light of day that it would have been zazlaved and just shelved right. forever right Absolutely. so i actually i'm on team tommy i really enjoy this movie i own it i I do. I do yeah see look team tommy uh yeah. I, I think it's really great and um and and does a lot of the underwater stuff just right for the mm-hmm. intensity and the thrills and um i'm in it from the beginning it surprises me that it has it's so reputationally um me too challenged yeah what do you think what do you guys think oh yeah sorry (laughs) i'm not in charge of this (laughs) (laughs) i i I mentioned this before with the other movies but i think that one of the strengths of this movie was the claustrophobic feel that it had throughout, Mm -hmm. and because that is what really gave it the atmosphere it needed that worked for me and of the movies, like you guys said, I think this was the best. Yeah, to destroy the base mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the cold open. <laughs> and then so like, <laughs> right. like right away, she's having to go through like that was one of the scariest parts is like crawling yeah. through that yes. wet, twisted metal wires, all of that stuff. And then coming across that dead body. That was like a real jolt right from the beginning. I think that was the smart play as opposed to trying to do a day in the life. And then everything goes wrong. Like you start out from the jump. Everything is terrible and it becomes a survival movie with horror now added in. I think that was a smart choice. You know, I I had a thought as I was watching these three that I that may be a dumb thought. So you guys tell me what you think. Mm. One of the things that this movie does that I find so fascinating is that it starts so fast with these characters. I mean, we generally know, right, that we're going to we're going to have to like Kristen Stewart. Right. She's but and that she's not going to die. And that she's not going to die. But we don't really know that in this movie. Surprises happen. And so this movie starts off with the intensity and the the craziness of destroying the base before we know who to root for. Yes. And I think that adds an extra level of intensity because we don't know if huh. we should care about this person. We have to sort of sideways care about everybody. We don't know if they're what the malif- the the 
maladaptive force is yet. <laughs> and so we're kind of having to to sort of feel like who de- who deserves to die? Like by the end of Deep Star Six and by the end of of Leviathan, I kind of know who needs to get there. So like when when Six Pack <laughs> gets it, I'm kind of okay. <laughs> but I don't know anything about any of these characters until really. T.J. Miller shows up. I know he's going to eat it at some point. But <laughs> but do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, it's I a gamble. So. It goes yeah. against screenwriting 101. Mm-hmm. Right. I wonder if that also made people nervous after they made it. Of like, but you didn't have the fun volleyball scene. Yeah. And so right. how do we know who to root for when no I don't need poker? that? I don't understand. How do you make a movie right. like Why is there no poker around a light-up yeah. table? Yeah. One of the things that also connects all of these movies and The Abyss, this might not be smart. Also, (laughs) we should have a part of this segment called This Might Not Be Smart, and it's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah. (laughs) All of of them have some part, which is a a big plot part, about Mm self-sacrifice. The captain in Deep Star 6 floods the tube, so they'll leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Doc in Leviathan gets rid of all of the escape bubbles mm-hmm. to trap everybody down there. Um, underwater, Kristen Stewart does the most self-sacrifice and blows everything up in order to save her people. Um, and the Abyss, Ed Harris, goes on what he thinks is a one-way trip. Why is that? in all horror movies and I'm not noticing, or is there something interesting about the fact that that is a big plot point in all four of these underwater movies? I know we're not really talking about the abyss, but no, no, I think that's very well observed. And yeah, I can't, I even, as, as you are saying it, I, you're absolutely right. That it is a, is a definitely trope. And I can't think of any, because a lot of times if you have the opposite where it's final girl, Right. Or you yes. have someone or you have the person who uh, like a, like Burke in Aliens trying to save himself. Miguel Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer. Right. As well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's that is not something I think it's been in a lot of other horror movies. That's interesting to that it all shows up in all these. It also is in space movies. I'm thinking yeah. of movies like Life. I'm thinking of um Others, annihilation. Annihilation. That there's, there's, it's like space and um, the ocean are very combined. We don't know what's out there. Yes. Without and it's very, very easy to make one small mistake and die because the environment yeah. is so rough. Yeah. You have no leverage. Um, you, you know, you're just floating around. You don't have any ability to really control. So I wonder if there's something about it where those two places are so rough that just, you can't get out. Everyone can't get out alive and you have to like, it's almost like you you have to sacrifice someone or someone has Mm -hmm. to sacrifice themselves almost like to the gods of space or the gods of the deep (laughs) out of respect for, we do not belong here. None yeah. of us are made to be here. And so the payment is in blood of self-sacrifice. This has got very pretentious very quick. But I think it's it's interesting. <laughs> but I think there's a lot to that, Tom, because the, the other piece is like at what cost control, right? When you talk right. about mm-hmm. like we have no control, this is Kristen Stewart's move in this movie is I have no control over anything unless I make the ultimate sacrifice. There is right. like I have one chit left to play mm-hmm. and that's going to cost me everything, but I'll win. Right. 
but, or the chances are good that I will win. And I think that's the that's the move. But I think what the movie does so well is it sets up so much uh, of the intensity and and the risk around all these characters that eventually we come to generally like that uh, that by the time she plays that shit, it's worth it. Right. Yeah. Some of the self-sacrifice in these movies isn't it isn't ultimately all that rewarding. Uh, and in this movie, to me, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, this might be a dumb point, but whenever you <laughs> compare well, okay. it to we're in the same segment. <laughs> yeah. Whenever you compared it to space movies, Tom, you know, I noticed that perhaps what the sacrifice play is, is it, it, it has a lot to do with these people who are working within structured organizations like a Navy or, you know, like a, a Navy like organization in space or these people that are there for a duty of some sort. And so they know there's a chance that they might have to make a sacrifice in of some sort. So maybe that's something that's always in the back of their mind, whereas it's something in a movie about camp counselors getting hacked up that's <laughs> not going to come into play so often. Does that make that's, any sense? That's interesting, yeah. yeah. And because they are a part of a company, you are, unlike camp counselors, more of a team that yeah. probably puts you in more of a self-sacrifice in order for the greater good. This is no longer applying to everything. But, well, no, it is. I mean, even in Leviathan, he's sacrificing all of the escape pods for the greater good of everyone. Right. He doesn't yeah. want to spread the disease. Yeah. Right. The you, could, you could draw a line from that to Armageddon. Mm. Uh, another, another group of people, workers out in space, self-sacrifice, you know, to Independence Day. You know, I mean, that same kind of thing. I'm it's, back. It's, right. Yeah. Randy, yeah. what's his name? Yeah. 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 Wade. Yeah series for all mankind right yeah I, I mean there's there's a lot of that in season, daniel stern again. season four daniel stern again right <laughs> like at, to, at what cost duty and and yeah I, I think when it gets really interesting and back to alien like it's it there is an interesting and maybe it's a it, it's a more interesting thing when you're looking at a a, a capitalist crew and not mm -hmm. a militarized crew right mm -hmm. because the capitalist crew Easy has workers. to decide is it worth the bonus like are we yeah. getting paid for our yeah. for our allegiance here or are we just doing it for the greater good and i think that's one of the things that deep start six or, or leviathan does is the crew the doctor transcends duty to capitalism and destroys everything as a result um, because he he determines it's a it, you know there's a greater risk to humanity if they don't if he doesn't make this this happen um you know i i think that becomes a a really interesting thing toss it back to alien you know wayland yutani doesn't want to pay bonuses so at what cost do mm -hmm. they investigate nobody wants to be there um so i anyway i don't know yeah wayland yutani shifts from salvage to oh a bioweapon yeah gotta right. get this alien back home yeah. exactly right. yeah because that's the money yeah uh the I think I'm I'm less I guess less of a fan of underwater than everyone else seems to be. I think it's gorgeously shot. I think it like I think the I mean I think it was first time director. I mean for a big feature film like this, I think he did. He's a cinematographer, um, and you can <laughs> tell because there's great shots. But for me, when it comes down to especially the monster movie part of it, makes no sense at all. Like why <laughs> are these creatures just letting humans just want? I mean like they they. They're so overpowered. They're so dominant, and they have this giant Cthulhu thing waiting there. Like, this whole, like, we got to walk from one side to the other. 
the aliens are, or the you know the the creatures are just like floating there like what are they doing like what are, there's there's really no rationale to when they attack why they attack anything you never get a sense of like are they intelligent are they not it they're just sort of like a weird mm. force out there kyle they're jazz they're and jazz i think that's what it's, you're missing is you know all it's, it's, in, it's, it's the monsters you don't kill <laughs> You know what, it, you know, it, to me, I, I think uh, and I, I think I see where you're coming from. And I for me, I think that's that gets back to the Lovecraftian bit of it is, which mm-hmm. is the that the uncertainty of whether or not is part of the fear. Right. The uncertainty mm-hmm. of what what is out there. We can't see it. And I, I, I will I will kneel to your question about what <laughs> you know, why have they why have they been like, why did the monsters let them build this massive facility in the first yeah. place? It yeah. almost feels like the movie was set at the wrong time. Um, that it oh, would have been yeah. interesting had the, they been building the facility yeah, and they disrupted were the crew the, that was right. set down to construct this facility. Maybe, and but you would have lost some of the beautiful production design and world building, True. right? Like you would have lost a lot of that. We're here now, and we're confronted with a thing that we don't know what to do with. And I think that's, I, I don't, I don't have an answer to that. But what I, what I do feel as I get to the end of the movie is that they have uncovered a thing that is from a thing that it, from a, a space that is never answered, and mm-hmm. that's part of the that that is written on the tin for a movie that deals with a uh, Lovecraftian monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think what what we're missing is it's time to go deeper into the trench. We're yeah, missing that implosion right. scene uh, and because they just, maybe there was one and they decided to instead start weirdly in media res with things yeah. just blowing up. Um, because in the end credits or the very end, you see the newspaper articles and the company has denied the survivors and then they're going to continue going deeper. Yeah. So I think there's a chance you're right that it's weird that it just shows up, but I guess I just always assumed that off screen, we opened another door underwater and, and then, then we just started bothering all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and uh, another TJ Miller connection. It also has some Cloverfield vibes too. That's a, that's great. from From a low perspective, you're looking at something, you know, truly horrifying. You're looking up, you know, it's right. like, what is this so far beyond us? And then also that same thing of like the post credit, you know, sort of the closing thing kind of being like, is this really over? Right. Or, well, we, we, I want to shout out Vincent Cassell, who is, I, I really, I'm a fan yeah. of, of Vincent Cassell. Mama Duati was, is great. Uh, John Gallagher. Ocean's Jr. 12. You mean Ocean's 12. 12. That's what you were trying to say. Right. 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 Uh, Jessica Henwick uh, is, I was Jessica delighted. Henwick. To see criminally underused and everything underused. he's ever done. Yes. He's going to be huge one day if there's any justice in the world. God, I hope so. Um, it, it I, I, she's been in a, a lot of stuff. I, I saw her first in Iron Fist, and uh, I think she's just wonderful. And I hope, I hope she gets, you know, more to do. She's great as a voice in Black Lotus, the Blade Runner um, animated. Uh, series, and uh, I just I think she's fantastic. Hope she's well, in let, a then lot more. Let's let, as we're praising, let's let's give a couple of minutes to talk about Kristen Stewart. Yeah, which again written off by Hollywood as being sort of one note from you know her time in, in the Twilight series. But everything I've seen, like I'm I was not a fan of hers in Twilight, but everything else that she has appeared in since then 
I have just been astounded mm-hmm. at how good she is. And, and she like, does. And, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm so bad at conversations. Continue. Say nice, th- <laughs> say, say nice things about Kristen Stewart. Go. <laughs> well, she pulls off what no one in Deep Star Six does is being a, an attractive person that I still believe exists in that world. Yes. Like the the cryptozoologist or whoever it is that's on Deep Star Six who uh-huh. gets swallowed up by the monster. That's that, that, that old, gross 80s, let's yeah. cast yeah. Denise Richards as a scientist uh-huh. in James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah. Like right. just and ridiculousness. Just, and also talks so fast. I was like, right. I, a couple times I had to like go, is my speed setting changed? Like she <laughs> rattles on. Like she's like, I learned this phonetically. I don't know anything. Yeah. I'm going to get through as fast as I possibly can. Sean, bad news. We actually filmed this in 1.5 speed. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know that was a thing. But uh, Christian Stewart, uh, for being a, a beautiful in this movie, I think. Uh, but she's, I believe her in the role. I believe it when mm-hmm. she opens up a panel and is like fiddling around and doing stuff. And she's got a great... Uh, attitude for the movie and I remember it was a trailer moment and it's cool that it happens as quick as it does on a scale of 1 to 10. How bad is my ship? 10. But she doesn't even stop. I mean, I I think she's really cool in this movie. I like her a lot. I think what's interesting about it too is that she is presented, like physically she is incredibly fit, strong, uh, and the moment we meet her, she's wearing just a bra and some, or a sports bra and some sweats and yet somehow she is not sexualized in no. this movie at all. She is athletic and capable, and uh, that is something that you can't say about the other two movies, right? Yes. When that, that just it, yeah. to me, it, it feels like those are, are movies that are leaning in on the '80s era sort of hypersexualization or incidental sexualization yeah. of these characters that just does not age well. And Kristen Stewart is a badass through and yeah. through. Uh, I right. love Amanda so. Pays. I have had a crush on her since the Flash TV series, <laughs> uh, and uh, and she even showed up uh, recently the the later the Flash series and still looks fantastic and stuff too. And but I, I was like watching this movie like, oh, this poor woman, the things they made her do, yeah. like, like no, no, not not one scene of, in your underwear <laughs> in the shower. Yeah. Two, you have to do two. And yeah. also, for some reason, you have to take your pants off in order to get into the, the sweat. The, none of the guys do. None of the guys do. The way yeah. we, sorry, it's just the way the suits were designed. I like, oh yes, the yeah, the late eighties, nineties sexism is is on full display. Yeah, it really is. I think this movie just really uh, accentuates the athleticism. I uh, to me, I I go back and forth between this movie and uh, Spencer, which was mm. uh, an, mm. another movie that I found extraordinary for a number of reasons. Pablo Lorraine is is incredible, uh, but the the treatment of Diana by Stewart is so gentle. I she is just i i think she's one of the greats i think she is she came out of twilight and ended up taking all the right interesting parts to really showcase what she's good at and uh incredibly capable performer and robert pattinson i just feel so bad for taylor lautner <laughs> yeah, robert pattinson too. Yeah. Robert pattinson, yeah exactly he's he's the batman for goodness sake right right poor taylor lautner well he's still got good abs yeah, yeah you got anything anything nice to say about the cast ray no. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. No, I'm kidding. No, nothing that hasn't been said already. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, 
TJ Miller just was too much, a little too much sometimes. That's uh-huh. a, that's really all I have to say. That that's gonna be his epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> what can you um, do? One last weird uh, trivia note to connect back to the abyss is um, the screenwriter of Deep Star Six is named Louis Abernathy. Uh, Louis Abernathy was a very close friend of James Cameron and worked together when he was developing the abyss and then suddenly got a job to write an aliens underwater movie. And so went off and wrote Deep Star Six uh, and had it. They had a huge falling out. Uh, over this and it was it was they would not speak to each other for 10 years oh wow. uh, until eventually they did make up and lures abernathy is in titanic <laughs> oh boy uh, so talk about a good thread to have on but if if, if if you're bored on the internet um go to linkedin and look, look up lewis abernathy and the bio he has written for himself is unreal and like the if half the things that he says that he did are true this man deserves to have his own biopic made uh it is quite the the interesting read wow. uh, he's still still around still kicking uh you know still uh, telling stories so uh, in other words he's exactly as he appears in titanic <laughs> yeah probably yeah kyle you just may have accidentally created a new filmmaking gestalt where writers just try to write movies based on people's linkedin <laughs> descriptions <laughs> i would love it also uh, as, as i was doing my research uh bring back nia peoples nia peoples also wrote her own imdb profile uh and she and she's very proud of that fact in the in the first line she's like i could have paid some studio actors but i did it myself and then goes on to list all the amazing things that she's done in her life too once again wonderful reading <laughs> free entertainment for you on the web <laughs> Oh, Tom, he you plays the your... annoying guy. Do we know who Louis Abernathy plays? He plays oh. the really brash guy on Bill Pullman's, and she's got a big ass. Yeah. You remember that whole scene? <laughs> That's Louis Abernathy. <laughs> I believe that is correct. Yeah, yeah. I just looked him up. Oh, funny. <laughs> That's really okay. funny. Tom, did you write your own bio? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna do yeah. one now. Yeah. I'm <laughs> okay, just gonna copy paste Lewis Abernathy since you know. I I think I think we need to decompress. So uh anything that we have uh before we we uh we disembark, uh any other any last thoughts on uh on our on our three terrors of the deep films? I, I have a question for you guys. Having now looked at all three of these and all of them having involved either a corporation or a military organization of some sort behind the goings on in the film. How does that work for you generally as a trope? And how did it work for you in these? I I think having a, a face to put to the evil corporation is always better. So like Meg Foster, I think. Meg Foster. Yeah, like having the actual person be like, no, there's a storm. Sorry, buddies. Like, just hang tight. We'll get you. You know, having that face works a lot better than I think sort of the the detached that you had sort of with uh, um, underwater, where it's just sort of like you don't really have somebody that you can root against. It's just a name on a screen, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Tom? Well, no, it's the most effective of these, but 
it's I'm, I'm just skipping around, but like Waylon Yutani, all the conversations with mother through that, the disembodiment is so effective mm-hmm. in those movies. So I think done well, done correctly, um, I really like the idea of you are out there alone and you don't have a human face to talk to. Also, she looked like Max Edrum. <laughs> yeah, she, I think she's from Max Edrum, isn't she? Or yeah. Was she from she, the show? I'm, I'm trying to remember. So one of, I, Max no, one came of the, up in the oh, Amanda Pace was actually in Max Headroom. Meg was Foster the, was in They Live, and right. she was also in Masters of the Universe. She was Evil oh, Lynn. Evil Lynn. You know. Wow. I I think uh, I'm a, I'm generally a big fan of the corporations being the bad guy, and I think there are some some of my favorite corporations. Obviously, we've talked about Whale and Yutani. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, OCP, Omni OCP. Consumer Products, yeah. Robocop. Um, There's Miguel uh, There. Uh, what was the um, RDA in Avatar? Uh, what were the, <laughs> What did they stand for? The Unobtainium. Uh, yeah, I just like right. that Giovanni Rabisi was the face of yeah. this horrible thing. So I don't. For me, it's not so much whether there's the the whether there's a face necessarily behind the the malfeasance but whether they get their comeuppance somehow right like mm. i want to see i want to see an attempt to robin hood the bad corporation yeah and part of the of the feeling at the end of those movies is knowing that in spite of all of those efforts the corporation lives and that's the that's the the part that's the disheartening we must live to fight another day feel for it whether you're talking about um i don't know i mean aaron brockovich right what she she went up after pg&e that's true story and it still gave me the fame the same feeling resident evil is the umbrella corporation right like those all of those give me that same sense of oh crap like will it ever end but that's the fun of the movie is going to see the ongoing fight against big evil Mm -hmm. damn capitalism i know (laughs) i don't know that's why i'm so excited for noah holly's new show because he's making the new alien series and it takes place apparently it's about the corporate world of Waylon yutani interesting oh it's succession but Waylon yutani yeah (laughs) outstanding we'll we'll see Uh, if the big corporations will actually allow that uh, kind of thing to take place will they sign those checks we'll find out you know it's really funny this just got me thinking about ex machina right which is Mm. actually Mm -hmm. the same story it's just told in a different kind of way it is big tech and what big tech is capable of in the hands of monstrous ceo right like what what can it do and we look at it like that that could be a scene from a a movie like you know robocop or alien right that could Mm -hmm. be the the at home scene with the ceo of waylon yutani i don't know now i'm just vomiting words (laughs) (laughs) right on well, I think we've plumbed the depths of these uh, these films, uh, and it's time to to resurface and enjoy. Um, if uh, people enjoy content like this, Pete, uh, is there a way that they can support wonderful content like this? 
they sure can. I, and, you know, one of the things that you get when you join the uh, Next Real Family of Film Podcasts uh, member program uh, is you get early access and you get to chat along with us in the in the live stream chat room. And at the end of the show, we'll hang out and we'll talk with you and answer questions and talk about all your great thoughts and points as as we have talked about this movie. So just head over to the nextreel.com slash membership and uh, you can uh, join us there for a few bucks a month. And, and this is, you know, this is the year. I think this is the year. I'm going to call it the year of listener-supported podcasting. <laughs> this is the year? This is the year. Oh Last oh, year man. was okay. also the year, but this is still the oh. year. Okay. Still the year of listening. This, these shows, uh, you know, they come at a cost, and we sure appreciate you helping us to uh, belay those costs as uh, as much fun as it is for us to come talk about movies. We also love and appreciate your help. So thanks for your support. One final note, then, as as we go out, and which I uh, waited till the end because I didn't want it to uh, bring the conversation down, is that uh, Michael Carmine, who was in... Um, uh, Leviathan. Uh, he was to Jesus. Uh, he unfortunately lost his battle with AIDS uh, that same year this movie came out. Mm. So he did not, unfortunately, get to see uh, the amazing career he could have had because once of the many, many amazing people that we lost to that. So oh. after you've uh, you know supported this, if you have any money left over, find a local AIDS charity in your yeah. or your area. Something do, do your internet research, find a good one, uh, do what you can uh, because it's still out there still taking away amazing artists so but thank you all for uh, coming along getting your feet wet with me and i appreciate you uh, letting me back into the cabin uh after uh, uh welcome back the, aboard it's uh, already well underway uh this was super fun uh, thank you for uh, um, coming along and uh, watching a couple of couple of uh, bad and maybe one good <laughs> underwater <laughs> horror movies we we do have an open question which is what happens next Tom, now I know you don't have an idea specifically, but we have been bashing around some Tom ideas. Tom has that we're several very ideas. About. That's just the problem. You're settled right. on the fair one, correction. Right. He hasn't settled on an idea, but what we have to look forward to is another Tommy at the Con episode. Yes, uh, coming next month, and I know so get your pretentious helmets on. Yep. <laughs> I will so keep, it'll be a list of like, yeah, two to three movies. They'll all have something in common and a theme and we'll figure it out very, very soon. And you just described the entire premise of this show. Thanks. <laughs> uh, Kyle, welcome back. It is so great to have you. Thank you all very much for downloading and listening to this show. On behalf of the uh, prodigal son who's returned, Kyle Olson, Tommy, Matt's third, and Fishface, Ray Delancey, I'm Pete Wright. <laughs> and we'll see you next month right here, sitting in the dark. Ahoy, hoy. Tom, hi. Hello. It's hey. from the podcast. Right. I remember. So uh, yesterday, when we recorded this show, I tossed to you and I said, Tom, what's going to happen next? And you, under your breath, said, I thought we were skipping this part. <laughs> and... <laughs> You're right, because I hadn't because I hadn't announced it yet. Know. Right? Yes, you hadn't announced it, and weren't I? Don't think you were entirely sure what you were going to do. I had an idea, okay. but the main problem with the idea was the idea was a sentence, and so yes. I think we would watch three movies, and I'd go right, and you guys would go <laughs> yes, and then I'd be like, so Can we do it again. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be like, what else is in the news? Yeah, because it just wasn't. I didn't have enough of. I like to come with some sort of thesis or idea. Yeah. Like I did with the epistolary one. And so, which was so classic you. of the oeuvre. Um, and so, but then, lo and behold, 
last night what happened. Later last, last night. night. We recorded yesterday Later last, last night. night. Uh-huh. I, I get text a call. You. I'm coming from a from the dentist. Mm. This was a big dentist time. I was coming from the dentist and the phone rang and it was you. And right. first you said, Pete, are you alone? And I thought we were getting very serious. And right. then you said, okay. And then you pitched me the idea for a podcast, right. which I thought was weird, but we were alone. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, that was the second call I made. The first was to your dentist. And I said, whatever you're doing, <laughs> knock it off. Send him home. And they're like, we have uncovered something really serious. And I'm like, tell him it's fine. Get him in the car. I got to call him. This this is a movie podcast, Tom. What are we yeah. talking about next month? So what we are talking about is, next time, is I have, as I've talked about in Sitting in the Dark episodes before, I am fascinated by things that happen beyond the veil, meaning uh, people that have to interact with other creatures, sometimes humans, sometimes aliens, sometimes monsters. And those other people are operating by a just a different set of rules. And we just sort of get tantalizing looks at what it might be, how it might work, what their motivations might be. But because there is such a difference in between the two, if you want to say species, cultures, whatever it is, it's really you're just doing the best you can. And characters sometimes come to uh, great epiphanies because of that sometimes like in Interstellar, sometimes in every horror movie, they come to terrible, (laughs) terrible ends as a result. And so I wanted to. Explore that a little bit. And as is my want, I wanted to pick films that weren't right down the barrel like or over home plate. Like uh, The Arrival isn't really a horror movie anyways. A Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Don't Care. Like I wanted to do ones that maybe people either haven't seen in a long time or just never bothered with that I think mm-hmm. have some really strong moments. So, Pete, I give you Lost in Translation, Deciphering the Unknown. That will be the title. So many words, right? I always I always do the most words. Um, yeah. And the three movies that we will be looking at, of course, I'll be referencing more, but the three movies we will be looking at is 2002's The Mothman Prophecies, directed by Mark Pellington. Mm-hmm. We will Richard be looking Gear at uh, Richard Gear Joint. We will be looking at 2013's alien invasion movie Dark Skies, directed by Scott Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh fairly unseen movie and then as a real interesting switch up huh some might say what (laughs) we're going to be watching 2019's Midsommar directed by the one and only Ari Aster because even though the other two involve alien or supernatural uh, decipher translation problems this will be human to human but the cultures are so different that the our protagonists, if they can be called that, are having kind of the exact same problems and difficulties as the ones in these other movies. What do you think? I'm very excited about it. And I think the uncertainty fact, I, one of the things I told you last night, and I still agree with myself from the past, no. is that uh, this is such a, a wonderful uh, pivot from the Lovecraft episode, where so much of the horror is all about the uncertainty of what is on the other side of that unearthly space portal. Right. And that we don't get to see it. We just know horrors come from it. Right. And uh, we don't ever get to understand it. I think that is, that's part of what is scary about that sort of uh, miscommunication, non-communication, is is that things just start to happen and you don't get to know why. And that's terrifying. Right. And Lovecraft, one of the things that also makes it different is a lot of the old gods in Lovecraft are either monstrous on purpose, like their only thing is I want to wreck house, or a lot of them are insane. 
The yes. idea of gods right behind this thin veil are insane. No one is insane in what I'm doing. They all have purpose, motivation, plans. Whether we figure it out or not, you'll see yeah. when you watch these three movies. Love it. Can't wait. I'll put the letterbox list together and Thank put you. it in Discord. Thank you, Tom. And, you know, um, uh, thanks for hanging out after the record scratch. It is my pleasure. And, Pete, if you're free, I desperately think you should go back to the dentist. <laughs> Very much unfinished work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Get started today.